Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Keep Praying and Don't Give Up, the Parable of the Persistent Widow. It's based upon the lectionary reading for Sunday, October 20th, 2013. Have you ever felt like giving up, throwing in the towel, leaving the ministry, or quitting the faith? In telling the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, Jesus acknowledges that quitting the journey is a real possibility. He was, after all, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. His own cry of dereliction expressed the specter of defeat. When Jesus scandalized some of his followers, we read in the Gospels that many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus then asked his twelve closest apostles, Do you want to leave too? People quit the faith for many reasons. Hypocrisy, boredom, legalistic pettiness, superficial platitudes, unanswered prayers, bitter disappointments, and intellectual doubts. In Luke 18, Jesus encourages us always to pray and not give up. He tells a story about a persistent widow who importuned a corrupt judge. She never gave up despite the many injustices she experienced at the hands of the judge, who Luke says neither feared God nor cared about men. There's no mysterious meaning here. The parable is straightforward. Despite our feelings of fighting a losing battle, of supporting a losing cause, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep marching to the end, writes George Bernarnus in the Diary of a Country Priest, and try to end up quietly at the roadside without shedding your equipment. In J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, the elves of Lothlorien admit that they're losing their forest lands, but they battle on. They describe their struggle as, quote, fighting the long defeat. In a book of letters by Tolkien, Tolkien himself describes our human struggle using identical language. He says, Actually, I am a Christian, and indeed a Roman Catholic, so that I do not expect history to be anything but a long defeat. Though it contains, and in a legend may contain more clearly and movingly, some samples or glimpses of final victory. Token is probably the source of the comment made by the physician Paul Farmer, who himself has fought a losing battle for health care for the poor. In Tracy Kidder's biography of Paul Farmer, called Mountains Beyond Mountains, Farmer says, I have fought the long defeat and brought other people on to fight the long defeat, and I'm not going to stop because we keep losing. Now, I actually think sometimes we may win. I don't dislike victory. We want to be on the winning team. 
But at the risk of turning our backs on the losers, no, it's not worth it. So you fight the long defeat. In his emotionally volatile poem, The Collar, George Herbert considered quitting faith and ministry. Born to wealth and privilege, Herbert forsook a faculty post at Cambridge University in public service as a member of Parliament, and in 1629 became the rector at Bemerton, a small village near Salisbury. He spent the rest of his short life as a country cleric, despite the protest of his friends and family that it was beneath his dignity. The title of Herbert's poem evokes the stiff clerical collar that he wore. He complains that it's choking the life out of him. His tirade begins with him pounding the church altar on which he would, would have served the Eucharist and screaming what many believer has felt but dared not express. No more, I quit. Here is Herbert's poem, The Collar. I struck the board and cried, no more. I will abroad. What, shall I ever sigh and pine? My lines in life are free, free as the road, loose as the wind, as large as store. Shall I, shall I be still in suit? Have I no harvest but a thorn to let me bleed and not restore what I have lost with cordial fruit? Sure, there was wine before my sighs did dry it. There was corn before my tears did drown it. Is the year only lost to me? Have I no bays to crown it? No flowers, no garlands gay? All blasted, all wasted? Not so, my heart, but there is fruit, and thou hast hands. Recover all thy sigh-blown age on double pleasures. Leave thy cold dispute of what is fit and not. Forsake thy cage, thy rope of sands, which petty thoughts have made, and made to thee good cable, to enforce and draw and be thy law, which thou didst wink and wouldst not see. Away, take heed, I will abroad. Call in thy death's head there, tie up thy fears. He that forbears to suit and serve his need deserves his load. But as I raved and grew more fierce and wild at every word, methoughts I heard one calling, child, and I replied, my lord. Herbert's poem is full of images of constraint against which he rebels, his clerical collar, cables, a cage, ropes, laws, and his stuffy suit. He chafes at the conformity imposed upon him, and dreams about a life free as the road, loose as the wind, as large as store. Why not cut and run? He complains that his reward for ministerial service is a harvest of thorns. He wonders if he's wasted his years. Did he miss out on life and ambition? He regrets the pleasures and privileges that he forfeited. Maybe he should have stayed in Cambridge, in London. The poem then comes full circle. 
He concludes that the real ropes, cage, and cables that bind him are not the gospel or ministerial service, but his own petty thoughts. In fact, the more fierce and wild he raved, the more in his heart of hearts he heard one calling him. And so the poem ends with a robust recommitment of faith to my Lord. Some readers detect a note of self-pity in Herbert's poem, or deliberate exaggeration for rhetorical effect. I read the collar as a candid expression of the deeply human questions that normal people ask on the journey with Jesus. Authentic spirituality includes, rather than excludes, whatever is bothering you most. The Old Testament alternate reading this week from Genesis 32 describes a man on the run, that liar and swindler Jacob. Frederick Buechner calls Jacob's divine encounter at the river Jabbok the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. And in the epistle for this week, Paul describes his own persistence amid many years of struggles and so he encourages Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Endure hardship. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Our own day has its own heroes of persistence, despite the apparent futility of just causes. The Cuban dissident, Ioanni Sanchez, Nigerian novelist Chinua Achebe, Myanmar's San Tzu Ki, the Chinese artist Ai Weiwei, and the hundreds of Russian journalists like Anna Politskaya who've been murdered. In Zimbabwe, Morgan Sangurai keeps challenging Robert Mugabe, the 90-year-old dictator thug who's plundered the country since 1980. In persistence, we savor small victories. We acknowledge our limited options and make the best of a bad situation. We resist despair. And most of all, says Jesus, we keep praying and don't give up. For books this week, I review a title called Helga's Diary, a young girl's account of life in a concentration camp. The author is Helga Weiss, New York, W.W. W. Norton, 2013, 248 pages. Helga Weiss was one of 15,000 children who were sent to the Nazi, Nazi concentration camp at Terezin. Three and a half years later, in May 1945, she was one of about a hundred who had survived. Although her father perished, her mother also survived. Today, Helga Weiss lives in the same Prague apartment in which she was born and from which she was deported. Helga Weiss was 12 when she and her parents were deported in December 1941. Her diary begins earlier in 1938 
just before the Germans invaded Czechoslovakia. In September of 1944, she was moved to Auschwitz, then on to Freiburg and Mauthausen. Before she left for Auschwitz, she gave her diary to her uncle, who worked in the records department. He hid the diary in a brick wall, then retrieved it after the war. Helga was 10 to 14 years old when she wrote the diary, but much of it, and the entire last part, were edited and reconstructed by her as an adult after the war. The diary is in three parts, Prague, Terezin, and then Auschwitz, Freiburg, and Mauthausen. Francine Prose has written an introduction to the book, and the translator, Neil Burmel, includes a lengthy interview with Weiss at the end of the book. Also included are selections of Weiss's artwork and archival photographs. About midway in the diary, she writes, If you had not seen it with your own eyes, you would never believe it. And one day, even we will find it difficult to believe that people could live in such conditions. But thanks to this first-person account by someone who experienced it, we know exactly what happened to the 45,000 Jews who were living in Prague at that time. Helga Weiss. It's called Helga's Diary, 2013. For movies this week, I review a title called Vanishing Bees from 2013. What's happening to the honeybee? In the fall of 2006, David Hackenberg reported a massive loss of bees among his 3,000 hives. Before long, similar reports surfaced from around the world. Rick Smith, for example, was a fifth-generation beekeeper who was put out of business. This documentary film explores what scientists call colony collapse disorder. In one instance, 40,000 healthy colonies of 2 billion bees turned into empty boxes. Scientists have now documented specific symptoms and eliminated crazy theories, but for the most part, there remain more questions than answers. The beekeepers strongly suspect the residual effects of non-lethal doses of pesticides that are used in farming. Research is often hard to come by since it's funded by the chemical companies. Organic and holistic beekeepers add another perspective. One thing's for sure, though, from as far back as ancient Egypt to California's almond orchards and Maine's blueberries, we need bees, and in a big way. For a more recent update on colony collapse disorder and the disappearance of honeybees, see the Time magazine cover story, A World Without Bees, August 19th, 2013. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. 
Once again, it's called Vanishing Bees. And for poetry this week, we've posted another Celtic poem or prayer, originally taken from the Carmina Gedelica. It's called The Pilgrim's Aiding. God be with thee in every pass. Jesus be with thee on every hill. Spirit be with thee on every stream, headland and ridge and lawn. Each sea and land, each moor and meadow, each lying down, each rising up, in the trough of the waves, on the crest of the billows, each step of the journey thou goest. The Pilgrim's Aiding. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, October 20th, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.